Look up idiots in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that Consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of Jim Jarmusch, as recommended by Kristen Sales, and this week's episode, I'll be talking about Jarmusch's 1995 film, and Kristen's favorite film... Dead Man, and I have to add that Dead Man is Kristen's favorite film, not only as a reminder based on the conversation we had, but also because I went into Dead Man expecting not exactly one thing, but when I hear that something is someone's favorite film, I think, okay, this one I should, this one should be, I should be on high alert for, or I should be, um, I don't know, I, I, I tend to, whether intentionally or not, I tend to watch them differently because I'm expecting something which is going to be... Uh, I don't know, the most exemplary of something or head and shoulders above the rest of other things. I'm not really sure. I just know I kind of went in expecting, I guess expecting to be really awed by Dead Man. And I just, I, I, I tweeted this to, to Kristen Sales. I, I just, I, I didn't really connect with anything um, on Dead Man and, or in Dead Man, I should say. And I, I've been thinking about it all day and, and I've, I've sort of come around or, or um, developed um, certain thoughts which are far less negative than my initial reaction was. But my initial reaction was that I just, I really didn't like Dead Man and actually uh, <laughs> made me look at, maybe it didn't necessarily make me look at Patterson in a new light, but it kind of made me wonder um, if... I, I talked about in Patterson, if you remember the, the episode from last week, I talked about how there seemed to be a lot of indie film tropes in Patterson and how on paper it would seem like that should be, um, I didn't use these exact words, but, you know, there, there are these indie film tropes that in, in any other, like, kind of indie film, you'd kind of think, like, ugh, God, this is, you know, par for the course when it comes to... Uh, a film kind of labeling itself as like, see, I'm not mainstream, look at me. Um, but I thought that what Jarmish did with those things was sort of not subverted them, but used them uh, in a way that I think made Patterson interesting, or at least those indie tropes weren't gimmicky. Um, they were used to great effect, I think, in Patterson. And yet here I'm now looking at Dead Man, which is a movie where I'm seeing a lot of those um, kind of uh, uh, quirks that sort of make this an indie film, stuff like um, a, an Indian, I'm sorry, a Native American who's named Nobody, or uh, a character named William Blake who has uh, no idea uh, or is not educated on William Blake, um, sort of a weird... Um, not senseless characters, but characters that sort of come out of nowhere um, that we have really no background on and then are just sort of killed and characters that sort of act against their type. These are things that we kind of have come to be accustomed uh, to seeing in indie film. If not today, then at least certainly in, you know, the 90s and the early 2000s when there was this, you know, new wave of, of uh, American independent films coming out. Um, I, I see it a lot of that in Dead Man, and, and it, but it sort of struck me instead of, of Jarmish using them for specific purposes, they did, at least to me, stand out more as like, hey, see, this is an indie film, huh? Independent, look at me, look, I'm independent, I named, I named a, a Native American character, nobody, look at me, I'm an independent film. 
Um, that's how I, I kind of saw stuff. And, and I think I, I saw it that way, or I think that was my reaction, because um, I couldn't, for the life of me, sort of really make sense of Dead Man, or, or at least... And I'm hesitant to, to use this phrase, but what Jarmish was trying to say with it, and, and I've expressed my my hesitation to making such comments about films uh, in the past because that would seem to imply that there was one specific thing that Jarmish was going for, and that um, there is only room for one interpretation. If you don't get it, then you're stupid, or that kind of thing. And, and maybe I say that partially out of defense because I, I don't want to feel stupid, even though I do kind of very much feel stupid. From sitting through this film, which I've been told is important, I've been told is great, and I'm like, eh, but I just didn't really respond to it. I, I take a little bit of, of solace in the fact that, and once again, this is this is not right or wrong. This doesn't validate me or invalidate me, but uh, Roger Ebert, I know, wasn't a fan of it. One and a half stars from his review, and if you read his review, it's actually kind of funny because of how sort of perplexed he is as to what he just sat through. And um, at least on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it has like a 70, 70 something percent fresh. But if you actually click on top critics, I think it's something like 33. Um, so clearly this is a film that, if not divisive, it, it is one which is not, um, I say to you, the listener, if you if you did not connect with it, one that you shouldn't necessarily feel bad about not liking because um, it, it, it seems like it does take a certain sensibility or a certain person to connect with Dead Man. I don't say that in a good or bad way. I just say that in that's just sort of how it is. Um, I did say that I did tweet to Kristen after the the movie that I, I didn't connect with it, and her response was uh, just to send me a gif of of nobody saying um, fucking white men <laughs> um, or uh, fucking stupid white men or, or whatever that phrase is, which he 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 kind of recurs throughout the movie. But um, and and I, I said that that my thoughts kind of came around because initially I was just kind of like like I said I, w- I was saying to myself I don't know what is Jarmish getting at what is he trying to say i i just there wasn't uh, there wasn't kind of a, a scene or a bit of dialogue where i'm kind of like aha this is the thesis of this movie which may have been pretentious of me or foolish of me to even sort of look uh look for one thesis or, or one all-encapsulating thing and um despite my preaching this sort of stuff i i often kind of forget about it and i have to kind of remind myself to kind of step back and think like okay don't don't think about what this film is uh, was supposed to be saying, um, but what but what did I derive from it? And so the, the more I started thinking about that, I, I started developing my own sort of response to it and sort of made peace with um, with uh, with uh, what I think Dead Man was doing or what Dead Man did for me, which still wasn't enough uh, for it to kind of um, stand out to me as an exemplary film or uh, one that I really like or even one that I would necessarily recommend or come back to, but at least one that I found some... Um, valid contributions and some things that are done really well, which started with um, the casting. This has such great casting, and everyone in it um, from supporting characters, lead characters, is is really fucking good. Um, including, it's, it, you know, it's easy to, for us to forget uh, in, in these, uh, these Captain Jack Sparrow days that there was a time when Johnny Depp was doing small, intimate, interesting, and challenging work. Um, and the fact that this guy who is now kind of dominating the press for being um, the rocker and tattooed and an and abusive a- asshole could could play characters who were uncertain and awkward and very meek and that's what William Blake is and his development is very clear I, I don't necessarily know exactly what sort of character he ends up in but he is certainly a very different character than he was at the beginning of the film um, this guy who is very much clothed in this um, urban elite look as you know wearing this 
plaid three-piece suit from the city in the 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 far ass and far ass town of machine in the middle of the west uh the wild uncivilized um unsettled west um he sticks out like a sore thumb and at the end um he's clothed in a garb which is um you know he's got even though it's it's wiping away he's got you know the um, Native American kind of markings on his face, and he's he's wrapped in a in in, in a, uh, a a fur skin suit, and you know he he seems like he's much more at peace and uh, and and part of the environment, the the nature that he is in, um, courtesy of of you know the, the the work that he is or the journey that he has gone through with uh, with nobody and just sort of um, physically and thematically kind of getting away from this idea of civilization of um settlements and and more of a sort of sort of a spiritual peace um uh, along those same lines you know it, not that he's a joke at the at these at this point but um lance henriskin these days you know it's sort of a the stuff he attaches himself to certainly can can be a joke and, and something straight up like um think of a movie like harbinger down from a few years ago which is uh great in the sense of it's it's a thing like movie the thing John Carpenter is a thing a, a thing-esque movie with all practical effects but it is a really terrible movie um and Lance Henriksen is kind of but but even even still Lance Henriksen just sort of brings a bit of gravity um to whatever movie he's in even if it's a shitty movie but there was a time when like when when like this I mean him as Cole Wilson he's he's a menacing force in this movie um anytime he's on screen you just know that something is not right because of how not that something isn't right but that um, something bad is, is probably going to happen because of how he carries himself, how he speaks very little and is dressed all in black. There's a menace about him, and Lane Henriksen is great. And Michael Wincott, I, I talked with Kristen about Michael Wincott and how I love the villains that he plays and how he's so great at them. And he's certainly a villain in this, but he's, he's, a, he's a comedic villain. He doesn't know how to read, and there's often this... this um, this sense of levity that sort of comes with him and you know john hurt is in only in this for a little bit robert mitchum who you know uh, think of um um why uh, night of the hunter you know a legendary actor this was his last screen role iggy pop gabriel byrne um jared harris um john malkovich not john malkovich i'm sorry billy bob thornton um it took me like a few minutes to kind of like wait is that yeah, that's Billy Bob Thornton, um, and even Crispin Glover, and Gary Farmer. Gary Farmer as nobody is great, and I went through this entire movie kind of steaming like, Bleh. here's another case of like, oh sure, that Jim Jarmusch, who is this um, subversive and progressive actor, and yet uh, here he casts, a, you know, we, we have Native American blackface, brownface, whatever you want to call it, on this Caucasian actor, and then um, uh, stuck my mouth in my foot. Wait, strike that, reverse it. Um, stuck my foot in my mouth immediately after uh, kind of doing some research and realizing that Gary Farmer was uh, was born um, you know uh, a, an indigenous in an indigenous um, tribe and an indigenous descent uh, up in Canada um, so that was incredibly foolish of me and presumptuous of me um, and Gary Farmer is awesome as nobody um, the way that he has a a, a real um, a real sharp sense of humor um, a real cynicism and condescension towards um the uh, the Caucasian characters in the movie, this you know the the stupid fucking white man. Um, it's great and it's kind of a, a role reversal where it's like he's not really a sidekick in this. I mean, he is very much the one who has, um, 
who has the wisdom. He is he is imparting the wisdom, and and not so that William Blake can be the the white savior character, so that he can be enlightened, and you know, uh, you know, it, it's not. There is never a, a pity or looking down. Like nobody in the scenes, pretty much always has the intellectual. Uh, and philosophical upper hand on William Blake. He is not a character that should be, that is not, I'm talking circles here, he is not the sidekick. He is very much the leader, sort of the oracle. And um, it, it's interesting to see how that dynamic is, is sort of is sort of switched because um, you will then have, um, uh, just a few years later, um, Johnny Depp playing Tonto in The Lone Ranger where um, Tonto is very much the sidekick um, and yet... Johnny Depp is a Caucasian person playing that Native American character. Um, so, so that was that was very interesting to me, and 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 I think it is um, it is Gary Farmer's character that adds some type of heart to this movie because one of the problems that I had with this movie, and I shouldn't no, let me take that back. It's not a problem that I had with the movie, but one of the things which was a hurdle for me, sort of connecting and engaging with this movie, is it didn't. Hmm. How am I trying to say this? Um, the mixing of tones, um, I could tell is on purpose because Jim Jarmusch is a writer-director who is well-established, you know, has a reputation. So the, the mixing of tones, the fact that there is a, a spirituality um, rooted in this film, a spirituality, a seriousness, but also sort of a, 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 a comedy, but not sort of a laugh-out-loud comedy. I would not classify this movie as a comedy, but there are funny things that happen. Um... I the fact that those didn't they didn't there was sort of a dissonance I I, I didn't I, I didn't see those things making sense or, or at least there was sort of this conflict between um, there's a lot of violence in this movie but there's a lot of comedy in this movie as well and sort of in conjunction with each other and um, it's it, it's sort of a strange mix I understand now watching Dead Man why uh, my friend um, Fiction isn't real um, commented on the Patterson episode. Um, on BattleshipPretension.com, which you can do as well if you go to BattleshipPretension.com, go to the podcast drop-down menu and click on I Do Movies Badly, um, commented that um, Jar- uh, Jarmish's oeuvre um, is not really a peaceful one um, because I had mentioned that I think the, the individual oeuvre or the specific one for Patterson is one of peace despite the fact that there is a um, some violence in it or at least if you want to interpret it this, this way, a, a sort of a threat of violence um, uh, because of you know his milita- uh, Patterson's military background and the fact that he lives in a, I guess not great neighborhood. I mean, if you want to kind of um, take uh, context into play, um, geographical context into play. Um, but I, I don't see Patterson as a violent film at all. I see it as a very peaceful film, and I sort of hypothesize that perhaps this is because Jarmish has a peaceful ooh, and then. Fiction isn't real. Disagreed with me, and now I see Dead Man, and I get it because I can't say that this is a peaceful film. Um, there's a lot of violence. It's not gory. It's not um, visceral. It's not even that explicit. But there's a lot of violence. There is a lot of death. There's revenge, and there's um, vengeance. I guess those are probably the same thing. Um, and yet, that's blended with the with the fact that you do have these. Um, these assassins that are coming after him, who are somewhat comical um, in the fact that they can't read, and they're a little, and there's a, a sort of a, a drop of them sort of being a little bit bumbling, but also one of them is a cannibal, Cole Wilson, who kills uh, you know his own colleague and then eats him later on, um, and there there was for me sort of a dissonance there that I couldn't really 
make sense of, but I but I know that it's done on purpose, and, I, and I'm not sure why it's being done, because I don't think... Well, now that I'm talking about it out loud, I'm wondering if it if it has something to do with it with a subversion of what you would come to expect from a western film because our protagonist isn't really um you know, a gunman, you know, he's not really a a a, a, a um what am I trying to say here? Um he's not a gunslinger. He's not even that particularly tough of a guy and his his Development or his character arc isn't really so much going from uh, a, a a a pacifist to a hardened gunslinger, you know, outlaw kind of guy. Although there is an element of that, um, and not even an element of that. I mean, that seems to be what happens. But instead, the primary journey, the the what the what the film is entirely concerned about from his journey is not from him going to a meek guy to an outlaw, but from him going to a meek, disconnected guy to someone who is a lot more in touch with uh, spirituality and with, and with this sense of, of being a part of his environment that he's around in. So that's that's a bit subversive. And then we also do have this thing of um, uh, where most of the film takes place in, in nature. Um, it seems to be not even an escape, but he seems more in place in nature than he does in this town of machine which is dirty which is it's not a you know a, a dusty kind of you know um solace from the outside world it is a shitty muddy dirty place where um everyone makes fun of him or at least everyone is suspicious of him where he clearly doesn't fit in both in terms of his attitude and the way that he is dressed machine is Staged and shot as a town where I I wouldn't want to stay there, where the out where nature and the outside world seems a lot more appealing than, um, than the than than the town than civilization, which is also something that Clint Eastwood did very well in um, Unforgiven, where the um, rather than the outside world being uncivilized and, and rowdy, it's a, and and you know the town being um, a, you know civil and and, and a, a center of solace. It's actually the other way around, where the town is uncivilized and rowdy, and 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 Bill Money, I think his name is Bill, but Clint Eastwood character, Clint Eastwood's character, kind of is much more at peace and uh, and comforted when he is outside of that environment. And there seems to be an element of that which I do find super fascinating. Um, but I just I, I I don't know I I think it really ultimately comes down to and that I'm kind of talking it out this this dissonance between these these tones that I'm sure was done on purpose but I'm not entirely sure what the purpose may be or I should say at least I'm not entirely sure what you the viewer who may have responded really positively to this movie what you got out of it um, I, I I I was just kind of confused um, to to. Uh, a certain degree um and, and i also wonder too how much of this uh would maybe depend on me if not being intimately familiar then somewhat familiar with the actual poet and artist william blake um wondering because he, johnny depp's character being named william blake has to have that name for a specific purpose because if it's just for the purpose of of being jokey or accenting that sort of fish out of water um tone I, th I think it's sort of a and i don't say this in a negative way sort of a a superficial decision and not one that necessarily has a lot of staying power as a recurring joke um 
tangent here, the recurring joke of asking if you have any tobacco. I, I also don't know what that was supposed to be about, but I just found it funny um, that, you know, despite them, it just is this, is this one thing like, hey, do you have any tobacco? And he keeps saying, no, I don't smoke um, until the very end. And then it's actually kind of touching because he does have tobacco and nobody tells him, um, hang on to it. That's for the rest of your journey, which is actually quite a, a, a touching um, little inclusion there. But um, so if it is just for the purpose of saying, hey, Here's this here's this character who is named William Blake and he doesn't seem to know who William Blake is. I don't find that to be entirely satisfying. So what I did today was did a little bit of research on William Blake because I'm sorry if this makes me sound uncultured or savage. Don't know a whole lot about William Blake. Um, never really read a lot of his stuff. Um, so I figured, do I have to know something about William Blake for this not to make sense, but at least for this to kind of add another element of appreciation for the film? Um, and it, it did help me appreciate a, lo- a, a little bit, or, or at least sort of um, um, make the make sense of the journey that um, Johnny Depp's William Blake goes through. Because what I can tell, and if you are big into poetry, William Blake, you love. I'm 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 going to apologize ahead of time now for what I'm going to do, which is probably oversimplify, not even probably, I'm definitely going to oversimplify and probably mischaracterize William Blake's worldview and interest and that sort of thing. But it seems like despite the fact that William Blake wasn't an overtly political guy, he definitely seemed to have an aversion, not not an aversion, but seemed to believe and uphold the idea that um, industry was, if not destroying things, and certainly kind of um, wrecking things in the natural world. And uh, while he didn't seem to reject religion, he did seem to sort of reject um, religiosity um, and sort of have more of a nebulous sort of spiritualist attitude towards, uh, or, or belief towards the world than... Um, than strictly like a literal interpretation when it came to scripture and religion and that sort of thing, which um, a good deal of people to the, to this, to this day still find that to be blasphemous or heretical, whatever term you want to use. And, but back then it seemed to be even more blasphemous and heretical, but those, both of those approaches to the world, you kind of see an embodiment of uh, either explicitly within the William Blake character or just in the world that he inhabits and how he responds to it. Because you do have, I mean, you have a town called Machine, and it's a shithole town which uh, with a smokestack which is pumping um, black clouds into the air um, in which there are no real streets. It's just a series of seemingly mud puddles that you can fall into in which um, you have Crispin Glover's um, train conductor whose face is just black covered in soot because of the, um, the, the smoke and from the coal and the logs that he is shoveling into the train to get it going. And um, you just have this, this town. I, I, I mean, you know, there is certainly a whole lot of violence, but it starts, be, you know, violence begets violence. And the violence initially starts because of a... A man, played by Gabriel Byrne, who is the son of Robert Mitchum's character, who owns the factory that is making this town a shithole town, um, who this guy comes back, finds his girlfriend, uh, fiancé, wife, I believe, in, in bed with, uh, with William Blake, and wants to murder him. And so, defending his life, uh, you know, William Blake instead uh, 
murders um, this character and then that, and thus sending him down on this sort of inescapable spiral in which violence begets violence. But the violence is incited in town. Um, there is a, maybe there's a parallel in regards to uh, the violence that you see in nature out in the woods is necessary for survival. Um, animals killing animals in order to eat and survive or people killing animals in order to eat and survive. Um, and uh, the violence and the blood which kind of spills out into this outside peaceful, normally peaceful, or at least, let's say, harmonious because it doesn't necessarily entail... Um, a lack of violence. <clears throat> um, the, 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 the violence that spills out into this harmonious world is begotten by people, um, is proliferated by people, and is ultimately um, ended by um, pretty much with William Blake dying in the canoe and um, nobody and Cole Wilson shooting each other. It basically ends with everybody that we know uh, from the beginning of this film, dead at the end of this film, with the exception of uh, the incredible minor characters of um, that John Hurt and Robert Mitchum play. Um, so I, I suppose there's something cynical in 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 that depiction, in that idea of um, you know these people are all the death of each other, and they will also be the death and destruction of of nature because of look at what they've done, uh, you know, look at what they've done to to town. Um, and so with that, I, I guess I, I did, you know, I did find something, um, I, I did find something which I could take away and kind of like, okay, th this is, this is something that I can relate to. This is something that I can appreciate. Whether or not that's what Jarmish was intending to do, I'm not really sure. But being that he is an, an artist, being that he's a progressive guy, I have to imagine that there is some truth in that, um, or at least some validation in me finding that in the sense of like yes this was this was a truth that was here that he was trying to get you to find was this idea of um of those points and i and i guess i i just kind of realized now that i i didn't really extrapolate on or at least kind of explain um why the william blake character being named william blake would make sense more so than just a superficial joke so um but i mean it's clear based on just what i've seen in patterson it's uh, it is clear that jarmish is being an artist is is also a fan of poetry um so i have to imagine that he has an, a, an appreciation for the poetry of william blake and by naming this character william blake and having this character go through this arc in this journey it's almost kind of seemed like it's sort of a a physical manifestation of the worldview or the beliefs that William Blake the poet had here is it's almost sort of like the world or the universe of dead man the film is sort of like a manifestation uh, of uh, William Blake's thesis on the world that's just one thing that I speculate doesn't necessarily mean it's true in fact I could be way off um if that's the case I certainly would uh would appreciate hearing from you whether it's from the standpoint of, hey, I love Dead Man and this is what I saw in it and you're an idiot, or, hey, I'm a fan of William Blake's poetry and William Blake is a person and this is actually what he's all about, so you're an idiot. Either way, we're coming to the conclusion that I am an idiot. Let's just figure out what path we're taking to get there. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, um, and I'm glad I remembered it because uh, this was something that that not even occurred to me today, but something that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah th this is sort of, sort of starting to make sense now. This soundtrack. And the soundtrack... If you um, 
read Roger Ebert's review, um, you'll see that he is not a fan of uh, the the music um, that was uh, done by Neil Young. Um, I believe he he equates it to sound, to sounding like um a, someone is dropping an electric guitar, and I I see where he's coming from, but it's not entirely that. It's actually sort of two not two tracks, but there's two different. I almost want to say attitudes to the music that's playing in the soundtrack because it's sort of like a very melodic and peaceful acoustic and then these sort of harsh, they're not power chords, but sort of this harsh like electric strums, um, which seem to be really contrary to each other. And while I was listening to, or when I was watching the movie, I was sort of thinking like, what is, it, it did sort of sound like noise, but once again, uh, trying to think like, but there there has to be a reason that this was the decision that was made to go with this. And as I was kind of doing research today and sort of thinking about it, I sort of came to the conclusion that it, it sort of it might act on uh, two levels. One is um, not even not well. I'll just go ahead and say it. Um, one of which could be this idea of um, uh, life out of balance. Um, I believe, which is also the translation that movie Koyama's Katsi, um, but just this idea of of this this peaceful melodic acoustic guitar, and then all of a sudden this you know, and this really harsh grating sound is sort of like, you know, nature and balance, and then this really rough kind of like force, and this force being man or industry or whatever you want to kind of, kind of like knocking it or, or overcoming it or overshadowing it, overpowering it. That's a better word. Um, destroying it in a way um you know it's either that or it could be that or it also could be just this sense of how there are two there are two forces kind of working together or at least at the same time where you do have nature and you do have people and you you kind of have this sense of like it's a it's a cynical thought it's a dark thought but this idea of like it's going to be one or the other it can't be both one is ultimately going to win out in the end, which is an incredibly cynical idea um, in a film which doesn't come across as overtly cynical because it has somewhat of a happy ending. It does have some some sort of comedy, but it also seems like there, like there is a darkness that Jarmish is is getting to, not in not in a a um, endorsement sense or a happy sense but just recognizing that there's a darkness there and maybe that's even you know part of the decision to shoot in black and white and I I, I remember thinking as I was watching the movie like oh this is so clearly um, a like a pioneering film when it came to digital cinematography it does have a digital sort of 30 frames per second look to it um, and then I looked it up today and thank God I did because I was going to work it into my podcast. Um, that it, no, it was shot on thirty-five millimeter, and it was shot in a, a combination of, of different cameras, but it certainly shot on thirty-five millimeter film. And I guess, um, but it almost has a. Um, this this sounds so glib, I suppose. Um, like an Instagram filter sort of look to it, like one where it sort of is saturated to a certain degree where the black and, and whites uh, to, you know, there, there's not a sharp, as sharp a distinction between them. You know, there is sort of a, a, a bit of a, if not a blurring, then it seems like the whites are a little bit more white and the darks are a little bit more dark and, and singular. And maybe that hints towards this, this idea too of, of sort of there being um, 
a harmonic dissonance or a darkness or a cynicism in this idea of of things becoming polarized of of nature and man sort of being in opposition to each other um i, I don't know um <laughs> I, I right I, i'm not really sure i mean like like i said that's that's sort of that's sort of what i'm deriving from this whole experience and yet there's still something inside of me which is sort of um, hasn't really, you know, is thinking like, yeah, but I still haven't really come onto that aha moment or that capstone, which is sort of making everything make sense. And, and I'm thinking back and watching this movie and just kind of thinking like, but I'm, but there's still something like, I feel like I'm still missing something here. And when it comes down to it, it's probably not a matter of I'm missing something here. It's just, I am wired in a certain way where I was never going to connect with this movie the way that Kristen connected with this movie or the way that you connected with this movie. You may love this movie and you may explain why you love this movie. And I sit there and think and and listen, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, that makes sense. But that's still not me. Um, Just like in when I was in college and I had someone explain to me all the reasons that they loved Wes Anderson's Life Aquatic. And I said, that's interesting. Those are all the reasons that I hate it. Um, And to this day, yes, I still hate Wes Anderson's Life Aquatic. Um, Although between you, me, and the wall, I haven't revisited it in a long time because I'm worried that I actually might like it. Don't tell anyone I said that, though. But, uh, yeah, it's it's probably just just comes down to a matter of taste. And it's not that Kristen recommended the wrong movie. It's not that she's right and I'm wrong, although she would probably tell you that she's right and I'm wrong, which is fine because Kristen is a wonderful person. And I'm inclined to believe that anyway. Um, it's just a uh, different show for different folks, you know? Not really sure. Um, but I am disappointed that I didn't respond in a different way to this movie. Because I wanted this, you know, like, I, I, <laughs> I'm, never, I'm never fully cynical going into... I'm not often cynical um, or skeptical going into a movie. Um, some of you may point back to Tarkovsky and... Sure, <laughs> you're absolutely right about that one. Um, but there's always part of which goes into a movie like wanting to be like, I want this one to be my favorite movie. I want this one to catch me off guard. I want this one to... I, I want to love this one. I, I want this one to be in consideration for my top ten of all time when I'm done watching it. Maybe those are too lofty of expectations for any movie, that I shouldn't go into a movie expecting one thing or another because my viewing of it is going to be tainted but I I really wanted this one to be a great one for me and it wasn't and that's just how it is and I'm going to move on and probably not think about this movie that much again or ever watch it again but that's how it is um if uh if you want to watch it again though or if you haven't seen it easy enough to do so um it is available on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, and the Microsoft Store, all of which you can uh, rent or purchase, um, so it's easy enough to get your hands on it. Um, as always, as is the case always, I do want to hear from you, the listener, but um, it's especially the case when I when I'm always you know when I come from a movie that I have a reaction like this where I feel like I might have been missing something or I just you know. Something just seems off to my response of it or my viewing of it. I, I always want to hear what other people have to say because maybe it'll help me appreciate it more or maybe if nothing else, it'll just help me make sense of um, what people responded to it. Um, you know, I might like it more, I might not, but I, I'm, I am always very curious because this is clearly a film that has 
a reputation and has a uh, response and a following. And Jim Jarmusch is very clearly a a, a, a a filmmaker that has a name that people respond to, that people look forward to his stuff. Um, so help me make sense of that. Shoot me an email um, at you do movies badly at gmail.com. Um, chime in on um, the in the comments field at battle for pretend uh, sorry battleship pretension.com podcast drop down on you I do movies badly chime in, in the comments field chime in on Facebook where it's just facebook.com slash I do movies badly or like Kristen sales tweet at me to tell me how much of a fucking stupid white man I am uh, you can find me at Nolan fixes teeth um, but that does it for um, dead man be sure to sorry be sure to tune in next week where I will be uh, finishing up Jarmish um, and the month of June with Mystery Train, and will hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.